I'm Miranda Lee, and you're listening to the Bread Therapy Mama podcast, a show created for moms who want to feed their families foods that heal them, not hurt them. Food was meant to be our medicine, and the best way to do that is by focusing on the ingredients, not the calories. Here, you'll find everything you need to know about holistic nutrition sprinkled with some motherhood, faith, and non-toxic living along the way. I can't wait to grow with you. Let's dive in. Hello, Karis. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. Did I say your name correctly? Karis. Yeah, good job. Okay, just just <laughs> making sure. I'm sure it's people like- really um, emphasize this, the C-H, huh? Oh, yeah. I get it all. It's okay. My whole life, I'm pretty used to it. <laughs> really? Uh, my yeah. husband, his his name is Tabin, but he oh. has like, it, the, it's T-A-E-B-I-E-N. Oh. So everyone says Tabian. And he doesn't even correct people anymore. People are like, Tavian. And he's like, yeah. And I'm pretty sure I called him Tavian for like the first month of us dating. <laughs> until like his mom said something. Because like he never corrected me. <laughs> so I'm sure you guys are just used to it. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's so funny. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to talk to you. Especially because you graduated from the school that I'm going to right now. The new Trishan Therapy Institute. And I think that is so cool because I've never actually met someone who went there. I've heard of people going there, but I've never actually talked to someone. So I think that is so exciting. And you were or are an oncology nurse. Are you still practicing nursing? I I am actually not practicing right now. I Mm -hmm. keep my license active because I went to nutrition school or I'm sorry, I went to nursing school, um, not right out of like high school or college. Um, and so it was kind of, uh, a big deal for me. I like moved halfway across the country and sold Mm -hmm. my house and everything. So I always said I would always keep my license um, cause I do feel like in my core, like nursing and really taking care of people is really what I meant to do. So I keep my license active. I've n- not shut the door completely, but I'm not practicing right now. Um, so. Yeah, no, I, I feel you. Cause I'm, <laughs> I've been a certified, certified personal trainer for a really long time. Um, I can't remember the last time I trained someone. I just like, I did the work to get the certification. So I'm like, I'm just gonna, you know, keep it up to date, make sure I still have it just to have it. But exactly. yeah, I don't, I don't it's use really it. hard to get your license back if you let it go. So, oh, I, I bet like that. for nursing too, yeah. like if I was you, I'd, I'd keep it forever. I still identify as a nurse. I'd tell, tell people I'm a nurse sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. so, so So tell me a little more about yourself. What got you into nursing? And then, you know, what made you transition from being a nurse to, you know, diving more into nutrition? Sure. So I have an exercise science degree also. I'm kind of this like eternal student, love learning, um, that I did that right after high school. So a traditional, kind of a traditional route. And then I worked in, I was a personal trainer too. I worked in like a big health club train. And it's funny, I like kind of started to take care of people who had strokes and had like neurodegenerative diseases, like MS. And for whatever reason, that's just kind of what my clientele became. Um, but I really wasn't satisfied there. And my grandma had cancer and I started taking her to all of her treatments and her appointments. And it really made me realize that, um, I wanted to take care of people in a different way. And so I got this hair to become a nurse. And at that time 
it wasn't super easy to get into nursing school. There weren't the kind of explosion of the programs that there are now. Mm -hmm. And so I applied for several years in a row and then I finally got in um, and I moved, like I said, across the country and just kind of uprooted my life and dove into it. And from the minute I went to nursing school, I knew it was what I was meant to do. And honestly, I took care of cancer patients for my whole nursing career. And that was just, people sometimes would think, you know, like, how could you do that? But it's, I mean, it's, it was hard, definitely, but it's also amazing. Like today I got a Facebook notification for a patient that I actually um, gave her chemo while she was pregnant and her son is um, first year in high school today. And so things like that, you know, like I just, that I love that. I love that making that connection with people. And so much of nursing is teaching. And I didn't really realize that, I think, when I went to nursing school. And then once I start got in, in oncology, especially is so much teaching. And I just love that. So that's really kind of my nursing story. And then what happened for me is um, I had my boys when I was in my boy, I have two boys, they're a year apart. Um, I had them when I was in my late 30, 39, basically, and 40. And I, my health was kind of in the toilet. I was, um, had had a really stressful event at the beginning of one of my um, pregnancies. Um, I gained a lot of weight. Um, my, you know, it was hormonal change and the time of my life. And I was just kind of a hot mess. My health was really suffering. Um, and I went to medicine because that's what I did. I'm a nurse. And I didn't get any answers. And so I was, you know, they were like, nothing's wrong with you. Your labs are fine. Your tests are fine. But obviously I was not fine. And so I really had to kind of figure out what I was going to do. And I lived in Denver at the time. I live in Colorado still, but um, I drove, I was taking my dad home from a doctor's appointment and drove by the Nutrition Therapy Institute, literally like got home, Googled them. They had an info session. I went in person, which I could do because I live in town and I signed up like the next week. Like that was it. I was like, I'm going to nutrition school again. I love to learn. And I figured for my own health, like if anything else, my boys were young at the time, it would only help my family and for me. And once I got into nutrition school, I was like, I have to help other people. Like, I cannot believe that I didn't learn any of this in my prior two degrees that I have. And like my whole world was just, my mind was blown literally. And so I went through nutrition school or um, yeah, I went through nutrition school and then I launched my practice um, in 2020, which was a very interesting time <laughs> to do that. Um, you know, I think a lot of pluses with my kids were home, you know, but also a lot of challenges too, and learning how to be an entrepreneur and um, figure out how I was going to take care of people in this space, you know, because in the hospital, it's very defined, you know, this is how you take care of patients. And when you're doing it on your own, it's like kind of, wow, you know, like, what do I want to do? So yeah. that's kind of my journey to nutrition. Yeah. And like we were talking about before we started recording, like trying to find like that middle ground between mm -hmm. like Eastern and Western medicine, especially like you were a nurse, you know, mm -hmm. like, like you said, getting, or you still are a nurse um, <laughs> where you like prescribe medicine. And then like the holistic approach is more like, 
like trying not to find that band-aid and trying to find the root cause, which a lot mm-hmm. of the time, you know, is linked to nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think that's awesome. Like you finding that, that middle ground between the two, because uh, it's, I feel like everything's so black and white, especially like I'll try to like join like holistic Facebook pages and it's, oh gosh, like these people want nothing to do with like doctors and just regular medicine. Um, And I think there's a time and a place for everything. Like if I, you know, break my arm, you best believe I'm I'm not going to be not going to be sniffing my lavender essential oil. (laughs) I'm going to be at the doctor. (laughs) Exactly. I'm just so passionate about that. And I think a large part of kind of where this has evolved for me to, to talk about this is because of my clients, like my clients come to me and they have, you know, most of my practice is really from people who have a lot of digestive difficulties. Um, And they'll come to me or they hear about me because I've had success with another client. I get those recommendations a lot too. And so people come to me and they're like, you know, my GI doc doesn't think there's anything wrong with me or my primary doc they just say these are all the things that are going on like I can't my I have terrible bloating I have terrible heartburn you know I'm totally constipated or whatever the condition is and they just are frustrated and so I really talk to them about how why medicine isn't really set up to like manage that and nothing against doctors but just they're just not trained that way you know like it's not what they're trained to do. And, and I think that the medical model is, you know, it's obviously changing and adapting to research, but when pharmaceutical companies are in play, like there's a lot of interference, I think too. And so the medical model can take a while for it to change, but I've seen it change even just in the 20 years that I've been a nurse because I worked not my whole career, but a lot of my career, I worked in like a chemo infusion center. And then in the beginning, people would ask to have like a massage therapist or therapy dog or acupuncturist at their appointment. And oh my God, it was seriously, you'd think that they had asked for like a million dollars or something. People were like, no way you're not doing that. And now you walk into an infusion center and all of those things are happening and they're welcomed. And, you know, people are realizing that these are modalities that are important for health and they're important for people's well-being and that that matters almost as much sometimes even more than other things in the medicine you know mm-hmm. so um it's really I really try and work with clients to help them see like how can we use you know the relationship with your doctor and your insurance, obviously, and what can we do? And then what kind of things do I think you need to do? Because everything I do is a recommendation. So like, and nurses don't really prescribe medicine either. They carry out orders, right, to administer meds. But like, I don't, I don't have a like license to prescribe anything. So I just make recommendations. And then people, you know, usually if they hire me, they're going to follow my recommendations because that's what we're doing. But in the end, it's their choice and they can decide how they want to do it. And that's one of the things I love to do is kind of meet people where they are and help them um, navigate that role for themselves because it is very individual. Yeah. Yeah. And like the, I think like one of the biggest issues with like 
just healthcare system in general nowadays, like compared to back then, it's, you know, one doctor sees so many different clients a day where it's really hard to establish that relationship. Um, And like they're, like you said, they practice what they were taught. And I think Mm -hmm. it's awesome that things are like slowly starting to change into, um, I guess, somewhat a more like holistic interventions as well. But I think it, the most important thing is to educate ourselves and to advocate for ourselves and, you know, have that partnership between like their doctor and then someone like you. So can we dive into the topic of digestion itself? Because that is what you specialize in. And you said this all started with like the digestion and like detox course at NTI where you learned (laughs) about that. So yeah, I'd love to hear about just about digestion itself but kind of like maybe the aha moment you had while taking that course and maybe what changed in your life too sure so you know I think you know even back when I was going to nutrition school it wasn't really you know as recognized if you go on the internet right now and you google like gut health I mean it's a very vogue term term everyone is talking about it mm-hmm. and what most people think that means is like probiotics and your microbiome right like but really your digestive tract starts in your mouth and it finishes at the other end right so you cannot ignore any part of that And the way that digestion works is in a north to south process. So the north part is your mouth, the south part is the other end. And really digestion begins in your brain because when you think, smell, um, even talk about food, like what you're gonna eat or something like that, um, or see it on TV or whatever, um, you start to, your brain, the connection between your brain and your gut is on like you're already starting, like you'll start salivating, like most people know this, but if we're thinking about it more from like a mechanical standpoint, the most important thing you can do is chew your food. And what do most people not do? They don't chew their food. They're eating in the car. They're sitting in front of the TV. They're not even thinking about what they're doing. Um, Unfortunately for you, there isn't, this class doesn't exist anymore, but the previous owner of NTI Um, used to host a retreat at the school where the chef students, um, the natural chef students would cook for the nutrition students for the whole weekend. So you went home in between or you stayed in a hotel or you were out of town. And part of that, like the first couple meals, we would all get together. And it was so fun because you're with meeting all these people in person that are in your, you know, program. And then I think it was like the third meal. She still asked us to be silent. And everyone was so mad (laughs) because we want to talk to each other, but it really made us, and she cued all this, of course, for the next couple of meals at thinking about what, what are you doing when you're eating? Like, are you chewing your food? What are you thinking about? Where did your food come from? You know, like I remember when my kids were little and I'm like, where did the food come from? They're like the grocery store. I'm like, okay, clearly we have some work to do. <laughs> like, yes, it came from the grocery store, but how did it get to the grocery store? You know? Mm-hmm. And so that process of slowing down is a mechanical part of chewing your food because when you chew your food properly, it sets up the digestion and the stomach to happen. So that is literally the signal to your body to make stomach acid to release enzymes, to start churning up and mechanically mixing your food. 
And if that does not happen, if you're literally like just inhale, we call it inhaling in my house because I have a couple of family members that tend to do that. Um, <laughs> you know, we're not perfect either. <laughs> um, inhale your food, it sits in your stomach. And that the, the stomach can't mechanically just break that down. And if there isn't the proper enzymes and stomach acid to break down things like protein, what happens is that food sits and ferments in your stomach because in order for food to get from the stomach to the small intestine, it needs to be of a proper acidity. And that is what opens that sphincter or like a trap door basically into your small intestine. And so the way we think about digestion is every step sets up the next step. And so starting there just in the stomach for the next step is huge because people get have bloating, they have heartburn, they have all kinds of like burping, like all these symptoms. And those are all just signs that food is just sitting in your stomach and not getting through for whatever reason. And so, so then, what about okay. like, just real quick, because you're saying like, it starts with like chewing. So what if it's like, you're eating something calorically dense that requires no chewing, like, like right now I'm drinking my protein coffee, you know, I oh, yeah. my protein powder, in my coffee, or what if someone's drinking a smoothie, does that cause ne- something negative because you're not preparing the digestive tract? That is a great question. So really there's two things to think about there. So coffee is warm, right? So warm, that's kind of like an Ayurvedic principle. Um, warm things are stimulating to digestion. And so if you were to like shotgun a cold smoothie, which is what most people do, they're like, oh, in a hurry breakfast or whatever, that is really hard on your digestion. And it's it's the cold, plus sometimes the raw part of it um, can be hard for some people. So, you know, I think there's, I, I really don't like to demonize like any specific thing. But I think in that situation, if you are drinking a cold smoothie in the mornings and having a lot of trouble digesting it or getting a lot of bloating or whatever, you need to kind of rethink that. And honestly, you can just start with like warm ginger tea to stimulate Mm -hmm. your digestion first and then drink the smoothie. And I have so many moms as um, clients and this one specific mom is so funny. So she has a three school drop off and she drinks the smoothie in the morning. And she was like, you know what? I'm not going to sit down and drink my smoothie. I just can't do that. And so I'm trying to work with her to figure out how can we like delay the smoothie? So it's not like a five minute drink and more like a 15 minute drink or a 20 minute drink. So normally her smoothie would only last to the first drop off. So I'm like, why don't you try and extend it and take smaller sips and make it last a little bit longer. So over the course of a week, she was able to do that. And she's like, I would get home and I have a little bit left in my cup and I'm not all bloated and feeling like, Ugh, or in her case, feeling like I have to run to the bathroom because this smoothie just hit my stomach, you know? So there's so many little tweaky things that you can do like that. And um, rather than just saying like, don't drink the smoothie, right? So protein in your coffee or doing like a lot of people do like fat bomb coffees and all of that, um, you know, same kind of thing. If you're gulping it down, then it's going to be much harder to digest. 
And a lot of times the things, you know, not butter necessarily, but when people put like MCT oil or oil powder in their coffee for the fat um, or collagen, those things are kind of broken down already. It's not like eating a steak, right? And not chewing that. And so those are broken down a little bit easier, but you still can't like chug it and get it through. Um, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So if like, you're going to have a smoothie, you know, I like the recommendation for like, you know, a, a hot, like ginger tea or something before, and then also yeah. pacing yourself. Yes. Um, that's, that's good. I mean, how about things that, um, like if you woke up in the morning and chugged a glass of ice water, is that going to mm-hmm. affect your digestive tract at all? If it's, you know, it's water or maybe other yeah. cold things that aren't calorically dense at all? Yeah. So that's a great question. You know, it's probably not the best thing for your digestive tract to do cold water first thing in the morning, but like in Colorado, I mean, it's so high elevation here. Everyone wakes up really thirsty or most people that I know. Um, and so I think like, and I tend to like cold water. I don't really like like room temperature water. And so I think you kind of have to just like manage that for what it is. I think water is different than a smoothie um, because mm-hmm. a smoothie has all the calories and, you know, the, breaking those macronutrients down and then the micronutrients too. So, um, you know, I think I'm very much about like, what can you do? You know, like, where are you at and what can you do yeah. to improve that? So rather than chugging ice cold water, could you like sip on a little bit warmer water or something like that just to kind of bridge that gap a little. Hey guys, I want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about my favorite online market, which is Thrive Market. I just absolutely love everything that Thrive stands for. They are on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable. They have high quality, healthy, sustainable products at member only prices. So you get all this high quality stuff for a bargain. Like these prices cannot be beat anywhere else. And you can not only get like pantry essentials and grocery items, but there's also non-toxic cleaning supplies, beauty items, baby and bath products, and even biodynamic wine. Like they have anything and everything that you need if you like went to the local Walmart or something like that, except they only carry products that they want 100% back, which I love. So you're not gonna go on there and find like Doritos and Pringles, but you are gonna find healthier alternatives that, you know, are dye free or that or organic or gluten free, like just healthier versions of the snacks and foods that you love. And I think my favorite part is that they have these filters for you to filter through your values or your dietary preference preferences or lifestyle choices. So like, for example, for me, whenever I'm trying to um, get food or groceries on Thrive Market, I'll always do like the filters for organic, gluten-free and dye-free because those are just my dietary preferences and allergies. And it will just give me everything that fits those those filters and then you know if I want to get some makeup on there or cleaning supplies like I'll look at women only I'll put like the women owned only business filter on there I'll do fair trade 
or I'll do eco-friendly packaging and it'll bring up everything that fits that. I love it. And I think my most favorite part of Thrive Market, which you can't really find at any other grocery store, is that they give you little refill packs for your seasonings, like salt, pepper, paprika, garlic powder, whatever. You can order that on Thrive Market as well. And I love that because you don't have to just get a whole new container every time, which is so wasteful. They just give you a little packet for you to refill your own containers at home. Um, but that's just personally one of my favorite parts. So I don't have, it just helps me reduce my carbon footprint and waste that I'm, and that's something I'm really passionate about. So yes, Thrive Market is amazing for a million different reasons. So it is a $60 annual membership fee or you pay $12 a month for the membership. You get free shipping if you spend $49 or more which is amazing because that's super easy. You know, when you grocery shop, you're spending $49 at least. So free, fast, carbon neutral shipping, like super fast. Um, and with my link, you are going to get 30% off your first order and a free gift valuing up to $60. So you can go in the show notes for my link or you can go to linktree.com forward slash this is Miranda Lee and I'll have it on there but I highly recommend Thrive Market. I've had it for years and I will have it probably forever. It is just a great way to have high quality products, but also save money and it fits in my budget. I absolutely love it. So like I said, check the show notes for your 30% off and free gift. And let's get back to the episode. Then once food gets into the small intestine, that's really where the magic happens. So the small intestine is where like 95% of absorption of nutrients comes from. And people, you know, people are either kind of of the macronutrient camp because they've always done like calorie counting and weight loss and all of that, or they're like thinking vitamins and minerals. And that's obviously what we're tuned in to think about too. But what I teach people is really the nutrients that I'm talking about are amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein, fatty acids, which are the building blocks of fat, um, vitamins and minerals. And so those four things and others, but those four predominantly those things need to be pulled out of the food that you ate and absorb through your small intestine. And if you have inhaled your food, don't have proper stomach acid, don't have proper enzyme activity, and the food is starting to get into the small intestine. Really, if you have any of those conditions, your small intestine um, digestion isn't really on point either. And this is where a lot of enzyme, more enzymes come in, hormones come in to help signal the gallbladder to release bile, to help break down fat, you know, it's very complex, but the same signaling is what we have to think about. So if we're not doing the proper digestion in the stomach, then the small intestine is going to suffer. Um, really things too, like bacterial overgrowth in the stomach or fungal overgrowth in the stomach that impacts absorption greatly. Um, when people have motility problems, which just means that things are moving through slowly, um, that impacts it too. So you know, it's so many people are trying to identify problems. And I think that that's not a bad way to go to look for like root cause. But my whole premise is that you can do so much good by just working on these foundational things and then see like, are you continuing to have a problem? 
you know, do you still have trouble um, maybe with IBS type symptoms or constipation or something like that after you've laid this foundational base? Um, and so I don't go down those rabbit holes <laughs> too much in the beginning. Um, I do use testing in my practice and I use it very specifically for specific cases. But um, and so really after the small intestine, it goes to the large intestine. And there's a lot of magical things that happen there. And our microbiome is obviously really important and it can be incredibly imbalanced. I do like stool testing that reveals that. And it's just so amazing to me um, how people can be, you know, fairly healthy, but have a really terrible looking microbiome, or they can have a pretty good looking microbiome, but have some serious health stuff going on. And so there's so much research and things every day that are coming out about the microbiome and the importance of it. But we do know that that is really important. And oftentimes when people just try and take probiotics, um, they're either not taking the proper type for them, or they're taking something that's just kind of adding fuel to their fire if they have a bunch of inflammation and stress and their GI tract. So um, really the formation of your poop and really, you know, the reason for poop is to get every, all those extra things out of the body. It's like the extra part of your food that's not broken down that your body doesn't need anymore. But it's also a lot of other things that your body is managing and dealing with toxins, you know, breakdown of hormones, old cells, like all that stuff just goes out with the poop. And so, you know, we want that out of the body. So, you know, my clients either fit into the more constipated um, category, or they tend to have like IBS type symptoms. And so, um, you know, with constipation, you really, that is just like the, one of the number one things to try and improve. Um, because if you are not pooping regularly and adequately, um, that will completely affect your health. Mm, yeah. I mean, there's so much you can learn from just looking at your poop you know, totally. and that's why I teach people, you know, and I tell people that when I talk to them, if, if I talk to them before we start working together, I'm like, we have to talk about poop. Like that is just <laughs> one of the things and we should really normalize it. You know, it's like, there's a kid, there's a book for little kids called everyone poops. And I feel like I kind of want to write my own like nutrition viewpoint of this for adults, you know, and it's like, mm -hmm. it's not, I mean, sure, to some people, it might be gross and there might be different things associated with that or whatever. But if you literally just get in the habit of turning around and looking in the toilet of what your poop looks like, is it on the bottom of the toilet or is it floating? Um, is it in a log or is it in pieces? What color is it? You know, there's like so much information you can gather from that. And then as you're changing things to try and improve your health, how, what happens to your poop? How does it change? So it's an important piece of information. So I'm not sure if this has anything to do with anything, but <laughs> like, why do guys take so long on the toilet? Like, <laughs> I feel like when I go to the bathroom, like I'm in and out, you know, and then yeah. guys take so long. Does it have to do with their digestion or are they all lying to us and they're just <laughs> on their phone? pretending I don't know I, I feel like if you if it takes you that long to go to the bathroom maybe something is wrong with your digestion 
Well, I will say this. So I'm married <laughs> to a man. And so I will say, I feel like there probably is somewhat of a behavior element in there. And maybe it's learned, you know, from their own father or brothers or whatever. Um, who knows? I'm sure every guy is different in that category. But I have had a couple male client, clients with horrible constipation. And I had um, a client once that was an attorney and it completely affected his life because he was like, I eat my lunch and then I go and sit on the toilet for 45 minutes. And my secretary is like, seriously, when are you coming out? I need you to come out. You're doing court. Your client is here, blah, blah, blah. Right. And it's a problem. So, um, I think that <laughs> I don't know that men and women are different, um, mm -hmm. extremely in that way, but we definitely have different hormone balance when it comes to sex hormones, you know, and we are different. So maybe you're onto something. I don't know. I don't never seen any research or anything about that. I feel like that would maybe be, um, a little bit of a bold step to say, but I don't know. I think you're right. I think it, it's, <laughs> it's learned because <laughs> it's so, it's such a thing. I'm like, why are you in there for so long? Like there's yeah. no way. Well, yeah. let, let's, let's dig into poop a little more. Okay. Like what are some, I guess, what is normal? Like what is normal or healthy poop? And then what are some things that like, you know, this could be a red flag. Like this means that something is, off with the digestion. Sure. So um, there's a great tool called the Bristol stool chart. And I actually learned about this in nursing school. So it's, you know, I've been around forever, I think since like the fifties or something. And it has like cat different categories and, and pictures of what your poop looks like. So really what, according to that chart, you want your poop to be like a type four, which is like a long, a big log that's like attached together and that sits in the bottom of the toilet. So the reason that you want it in that way is, is I'll just kind of break it down for you. So um, what that means is that, so there's action of your muscles and in your intestines called peristalsis. And that comes about when the food gets to the small intestine and the large intestine, those muscles are kind of like working everything through the tract, right? Because the small intestine is like this, you know, if you look at it on the diagram, it's like all these layers of intestine laid on top of each other. And the large intestine goes up, over and down. So there takes a lot of work to get all of that <laughs> together. And sometimes that's what you feel with the rumbling and stuff in your abdomen. But the reason that you want the big long log is because you want that to be like a coordinated effort of your body. And so when you see like pieces, you know, even if it's not like loose stool or like diarrhea, if you see like pieces, it just means that that peristaltic motion is not coordinated for you to extract the poop. Um, and really the, the proper time to go to the bathroom is like in the morning. So in Chinese medicine, the large intestine is most active between 5 a.m. and 7 a.m. So when people are going poop at that time, um, preferably not stimulated by caffeine or eating because there is such thing, you have like a reflex when you eat that that promotes, as you can imagine, things to move on through, right? But if it happens like first thing in the morning around that time, 
um, that is really kind of like the ideal time. I really teach people a lot about circadian rhythm. Um, kind of as a side note, I was a horrible sleeper for a long time after my kids were born. And I had to, again, repair my sleep on my own um, because I couldn't get any traction really anywhere else. So I teach people who have sleep difficulties to look at sunlight first thing in the morning is one of the biggest things. And you would not believe how that helps reset your entire day, 24 hours, including your bowel movements. It's kind of like magic. Now I'm not saying that just because you do that, you're going to start pooping like a log because there's lots of other factors, but in, you know, contribution to everything else, it's incredibly powerful. That circadian rhythm balance. Um, you also want your poop to sit in the bottom of the toilet. You don't want it to float. So when you have floating poop, whether it's the big log or pieces or whatever, um, diarrhea is a little bit harder because if it's more liquid, then it's not, not the same. But if you have like substance to your poop and it's floating, that means that you're not breaking down fats adequately. And so um, that's something that we can absolutely address Um you know, specifically in the digestive process. Um, what else? So a lot of times people see like food, like particles in their poop. Now I'm not talking about corn because corn is like one of those insoluble fibers that are really just not broken down. Um, but other things like sometimes people will be like, oh yeah, there's the whatever that I ate, you know, that's just showing that you either aren't chewing your food or it's not getting broken down further through the rest of the digestive process. And I mean, it's literally going through you in a more of a whole form. And that is obviously not ideal um, on several levels. So does that answer most of your questions about the poop? Yeah, no, that <clears throat> that totally makes sense. Because I think a lot of people just assume that your poop is just a reflection of what you eat. Oh. But, you know, there, it's so much more than that, like how you digest and like the importance of digestion are there other so you talked about their like heartburn um being a sign that something's off like with your digestion what are some other signs that people can look for I would say like probably the most common things I see are bloating so when someone says they're bloated I ask him or ask them are you bloated high or are you bloated low so meaning like do you eat and then you feel bloated pretty quickly after you eat? That's more of a sign that that food is sitting in your stomach and fermenting and not moving through to the small intestine and that produces gas. And so that feel can feel like bloating. Also, if you're eating foods that you don't tolerate, that can definitely, you know, be, it's kind of like adding gasoline to a fire. If you have, a you know, different things going on and stress going on in your GI tract, and you're eating, let's say, I'll just throw gluten under the bus today, it's gluten, and you don't tolerate gluten, it's not going to be helping you. Um, and so, you know, the thing is, with the whole food sensitivity, food intolerance thing, like, we could just spend a whole episode talking about that. But I really, I always consider it with people, because I do think that people sometimes are eating things that are not helping them. But I don't use that usually as like an absolute starting point, like you must address this um, to get any traction. I usually like to get traction first and then see if we need to add that in later, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Heartburn yeah. too, I mean, 
people do have esophageal reflux. Like I've seen patients who literally have like burning in their esophagus. But what the problem is, is that pharmaceutical drugs or acid blocking and reducing medication is just used all the time for any sort of episode of heartburn, um, burping, bloating high in the stomach, and it's just not effective. So that's like a great way to think about it. If you go to the doctor, you have heartburn, and they recommend that you, you go on Prilosec or one of those drugs for like two to four weeks, and it doesn't help you, that's not the problem. You don't need acid reducing meds. <laughs> if it's helping you, that's a different story, you know? Or if you have gastritis, which is like inflammation in your stomach wall, there is a time and a place for very short courses of those meds. But over, like long-term and over time, the studies show that they just cause a lot more damage um, because we need acid in our stomach to break down food. So mm -hmm. I got sidetracked. So bloating, the lower bloating, which is more like lower intestine, you know, I don't ever say like, oh, that's your small intestine or oh, that's your large intestine with symptoms because how can we know for sure? But when it's more lower or like produces gas or like smelly gas, smelly gas, by the way, is a breakdown um, when you're not breaking down proteins properly and you people get those really bad smelly gas, that's really what that's from. Um, but lower gas um, can be microbiome imbalance. You know, there's a lot of good guys in your microbiome. And there's a lot of other guys that are just like, maybe not like good, but hanging out down there. And they can get overgrown, fungus can get overgrown. Um, and so that bloating is usually a little bit later in the digestive process. So you don't feel it right away. Um, although dairy um, people who don't tolerate dairy, that can be like pretty quick bloating too. Um, and it's usually pretty obvious, you know, like I don't tolerate dairy. So if I were to drink like a glass of milk or something, it would not be good. Like mm -hmm. that kind of bloating is like evident. So you kind of have to tease it out a little bit. Um, you know, and then constipation and like IBS type, I don't really ever get into labeling. I mean, you know, people will come to me and like, I'm diagnosed with IBS. I'm like, okay, great. What are your symptoms? <laughs> like, let's break down your digestion. Like what's going on? What can we support? And, um, you know, it's really not about like fixing your IBS because magically it usually fixes itself when you give the body what it needs. So does digestion affect your weight at all? Absolutely. 100%. Can you, you talk about that? Yeah. So, you know, there's so much about this lately that I feel like people, there, there's um a lot of good information about like toxin. So in our world, we are exposed to all kinds of toxins everywhere. And our body has a lot of natural mechanisms to keep those out of our body. We also are constantly in detox mode. Our liver works 24 hours a day. It's like the mother, I always call it the mother of the bunny because it, she's like running the show down there. And sorry, guys, you probably have a male, you know, mother, but whatever. So, you know, the thing is, is like, you can't just say, I'm not going to, I'm going to be toxin free, but you need to optimize your digestion so that you can detox because the point is that those four um, nutrients, remember the amino acids, fatty acids, vitamins, and minerals are what you extract from your food 
And those things are the players in every single chemical reaction in your body. Every hormone, every neurotransmitter, every cell wall, every components of a cell, everything the mitochondria needs for energy. All I mean, I could go on and on and on, liver detox, lymph, immune system, like brain function, like everything needs those nutrients. And if you're not pulling them out of your food, because you're not digesting food, if you're not absorbing them, you don't have them. And your body can't go on forever without these nutrients It literally can't. And so you have to optimize digestion. Even if you have the best nutrition in the world, you have to optimize the digestion to get the nutrients. And then the, so they really go hand in hand and figuring out how to eat for your body and how to support your digestion. What's the best way to optimize your digestion? <laughs> chew your food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think you're really, undistracted. Yeah. Chew, chew your food and be in a parasympathetic state if you can. I didn't even really talk about that before, but so many of us are constantly on the go and we don't slow down to eat and your body is either in a sympathetic state or it's in a parasympathetic state and sympathetic is like run from the lion. He's going to eat you. Parasympathetic is often called rest and digest. And you literally cannot optimally digest your food unless you're in that state. And so there's so many great exercises and um, studies on breathing now and the impact of deep breaths and breathing exercises on helping you switch over to that like parasympathetic state. So that's one of the simplest things you can do is when you sit down to eat, which is ideal and spoken from a woman who used to walk around the kitchen eating her meals, especially when my kids were little, um, sit down and take like three to five deep breaths and close your eyes and not like, you know, but like mm -hmm. slowing down and breathing and resetting your system. And the more you do this, the more your body responds. It will have it down within days if you do it at every meal. And then eating your food, you know, chewing your food. Honestly, those two things impact digestion so much. And if you're doing those things, and you know, when people are like, my own clients are like, I'm still feeling bloated, I'm still this, I'm still that. Those are the first two things that I ask them. Are you chewing your food? Because it takes time to change these habits. Like we have been eating this way for years and years and years usually. And making that change can be challenging, but you can do it. People do it every day. My clients do it all the time. And it takes a little bit of effort and some just practice um, at doing it. But those are probably like the two number one things. Mm-hmm. All right. My last question for you, because I've kind of heard this, but I don't know. I want to see your opinion on it is, are you supposed to, are you allowed, I guess, to drink um, liquids like while you're eating? I heard it's not good to like stop and take a sip of water in between your meal. What's the deal with that? What's the truth? So I tell people to drink like water limitedly with your meals as much if you need it to like you know to get food down now I will say if you were chewing your food you don't really need as much water generally speaking but sometimes if you're eating something that's like really nutrient dense or like hearty 
you might feel like you need a little bit more water. So definitely no chugging of water, you know, or like having a giant water bottle and trying to finish that with your meal. It is better to drink water around your meals because you don't want to dilute all the digestive juices, mainly in your stomach. Mm-hmm. So when that your that food hits your so even before you're thinking about it, you prepare your lunch, you sit down, you chew your food, your body is already starting to like churn things up and make the things that you need. And as soon as that food hits your stomach, it's like acid, which we want, remember, to break down your food. Um enzymes, all those digestive juices. And if you are drinking a ton of water, you're just diluting that down. Um, and so that's the reason to not have a lot of fluids with your meal. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes sense. That's good to know. All right. Thanks for debunking that for me because you know, they always tell you, Oh, drink a bunch of water, but then it's like, well, don't drink it at this time. And it's good (laughs) to know why. So Good. That makes sense. Awesome. Where can our listeners connect with you and reach out to you and find you online? Yeah. So um, my website is prime to nourish um, those three words um, dot com. And I there's like a contact form on there. You can either send me an email, you can schedule a discovery call, which is basically just a free call where we just meet and kind of talk about your situation and find out if what I do may help you. And, um, I love doing those calls and connecting with people. So my, it connects you to a calendar. You can do that. Um, I am on Instagram. I'm not super active on social media that could change in the future. I don't know. It's just not really one of my things that I do. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn too. So, um, those are like other places on the internet. I'm, I'm actually, um, working on my own podcast right now. Um, and I'm hoping to have it out in like the middle of September. So watch for that too. Awesome. Cool. I will put all that stuff in the show notes so people can reach out to you, but thank you so much for coming on and teaching us everything we need to know about poop and digestion. (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you all for joining me in another episode of the Bread Therapy Mama podcast. If you like this kind of content, check out my blog for recipes, how-tos, product recommendations, and more. Just go to breadtherapymama.com. I'll see you all in the next episode.